Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And he gave an illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So have you ever been telling a story and you are getting all of the details just exactly right and you can tell that the people listening are just sitting on the edge of their seat, they are just leaning in, they are focused on what you're going to say next and then out of the blue somebody either asks a question or makes a comment and it totally shifts the focus off of what you are talking about. Have you ever been there? And that's exactly where we find Jesus in Luke chapter 12, the story that I just read. In verse 1, we see that the crowds were milling around. And in one translation, it even says that there were so many people that they were stepping on each other's toes. Now, hopefully you haven't been in a crowd like that in a while, but you can imagine how many people are gathered around because word has gotten out. There is this man, Jesus, and he is an amazing storyteller. He just fills in the details perfectly. He is an amazing teacher. And when people hear that he is going to be near where they are, they just gather in the thousands. And I would encourage you sometime this week, if you get a chance, read the entire chapter of Luke chapter 12. 
It is arranged in such a way where you can see the common threads of don't fear and don't worry. You don't have to be anxious. That true life is found and security is found in God's kingdom alone. And Jesus is weaving these common threads all throughout. And I love how Jesus reminds not just the original listeners, but also us as well, that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to worry because true life is found in God's kingdom. Now, this particular day, the listeners are being told, don't fear man, but instead fear God, because God is the one who is in charge of your soul. Jesus is telling them, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about your basic needs because God will provide. He's saying that you are worth more value than the sparrows. And just what messages of comfort and hope that Jesus is bringing to the crowds. And that's when the interruption comes. Listen to verse 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, when I first read this, it reminded me of when my kids were little and they would say, oh, just one more, right? Like they didn't just mean just one more. They meant until they got what they wanted. Like I'd be swinging them around by their arms and then I'd set them down and they'd say, oh, just one more. Or I'd be reading them stories or um, reading them books before bed and we'd finish and they would say, oh, just one more. Or even when they got older and their alarms would go off before school. Oh, just one more minute of sleep, right? Well, in Deuteronomy, the law did state that the older brother would be given two shares or a double portion of the inheritance, while the remaining allotment would be divided equally among the rest of the sons. And it was actually common in those days for teachers and rabbis to solve as to serve as judges in those matters. In Deuteronomy, the law stated that the older brother would be given two shares or a double portion of the inheritance. And it was actually common in those days for teachers and rabbis to serve as a judge in this matter. But listen to Jesus's answer in verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, from the text, we don't know that this man was the younger brother. We don't know the full situation and the entire context of what is going on. Maybe this man is actually being cheated out of something that is rightfully his. Or maybe this man is simply asking for just one more. But regardless of what we don't know, what we do know is that Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees and understands the entire situation and he knows the motives behind this request. He sees and focuses on the deeper need and he knows what's going on in the inside. Because again, Jesus has come to change hearts, not necessarily circumstance. 
And what I love about this is that Jesus isn't even thrown off by this request. You know, again, here he is teaching on do not fear and do not worry and focus on the things above. Look at what's eternal. There is life in God's kingdom. And and instead of this request, when it comes in, it totally shifts the attention to an earthly matter. Solve my inheritance issue. Jesus isn't even thrown off. He's not caught off guard. He simply seizes the opportunity to continue to warn and to teach and to remind his listeners, focus on what's eternal. And he just continues to teach about security and where true life is found. Jesus brings it back to a matter of the heart. And in verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I love that we see in verse 15 that now Jesus is talking to them. He's not just talking to the man with the inheritance dispute, he's talking to the crowds. And he's telling all of them, take care, be on your guard, keep an eye on your own heart because real life isn't measured in how much you own. And now this was a radical teaching for Jesus to be telling them, listen, God has taken the burden of physical provision out of your hands and he has placed it into his more capable hands. And again, I think we would be wise to remember and to listen that fact that Jesus is talking to all of them, not just those of us who may be wealthy, not just those of us who have a lot of material possessions, because whether we have been given a lot or a little, we can all be driven by greed, can't we? We can all be focused on the wrong things. Whether we have much or hardly any, Jesus says, be on guard with whatever controls your heart, because if you look to anything other than him, you are going to be sorely disappointed. And so here's Jesus, and he just wants to remind his listeners of the same thing, that real life is not measured in how much you own. And so Jesus just continues his teaching. Verse 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Notice verse 16. It says that the land produced plentifully. In the book Stories with Intent, the author draws a very interesting observation. He writes, The parable emphasizes that the field prospered, not the man which makes the prosperity almost an accident, or at least distances the man from the reason for his prosperity. And the people hearing Jesus on that day, they would know something about farming. They would know that yes, the farmer had to plant, yes, the farmer had to tend to the crop, but ultimately, 
the success of the crop would be dependent upon forces that were outside of the farmer's control. But I think how many times do I do the same thing? When I think back on certain successes in my life, do I give myself the credit? When I reflect on where life has taken me, when I look at my bank account, do I say, yes, I have worked hard, I have earned this, I deserve it. I remember winning my county spelling bee and I got this nice little trophy and I put it on my desk and I just looked at that thing and it just reminded me of how hard that I'd worked and how many lists I had to memorize. I remember even offering my services to all the kids in my class because, you know, I was a good speller. But did I stop and give God any credit for my success? And I know that's kind of a silly example, but think of yourself. When you have earned something, when you have worked really hard for something, do you see it as something that you deserve? Listen to how the man responds in the story. Verse 17. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I will say to myself, I will work hard. I will plan. I will enjoy this life. But you see, this man left God out of the picture. And the story concludes. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, even the man's soul, even something that he thought he was most intimately connected with, something that he could control, even his soul was not something that he was in charge of. And he is called a fool. In Psalm 14:1, only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. You see, he's called a fool because he's all about what he can prepare and what he can store up for himself. He thinks that he's in charge of securing his own future, and he puts his treasure in earthly possessions. He thinks that's where his life is found. He's called a fool because he is not concerned with being rich toward God. And that saying, the Jews would understand and they would know that what that meant, being rich toward God, that that involved using their material possessions to help others. Now, how did they know this? Because the God of the Bible is the only God who refers to himself as a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. You see, only Israel's God was the God that would come alongside those who were younger, those who were weaker, and those who were poorer. And so when Jesus is telling them, listen, life is found in being rich 
toward God. They knew that that was participating in God's eternal kingdom. They knew that that meant to use whatever they had been given, whether it was a lot or a little, to use it to benefit God's glory and God's purpose, because that's where the gifts came from in the very first place. They were from God. And now this was a shift in thinking, again, to be rich toward God, to participate in God's kingdom, meant to be generous first, and then all these things would be added to them. God wanted to free them, and God wants to free us from seeing material possessions as something that we simply accumulate And instead, he wants to replace it with this attitude of unselfishness. So now you might be thinking, okay, great. So is Jesus saying that I can't enjoy what I've been given? That I've worked really hard, that I have saved for a rainy day, that I have planned for my retirement, and I'm looking ahead, and I'm, and I'm doing the best that I can with what I've been given. So now I can't do that? Now I can't enjoy Um, my success? Well, I think just like the man with the command about inheritance, Jesus is calling us to examine our heart. Make sure that you have things in the right order. To seek first his kingdom. To be rich toward God first. And then these things will be added to you. Jesus asks the deeper question of the man, and he asks the same question of us. How tightly do you cling to what you've been given? Do you see it as something that you've earned, that you deserve? Or are you willing to shift the focus off of yourself and to show him that he is the most important treasure of all? And I love how Job even reminds himself of this in chapter 31. The message translation says it this way. Did I set my heart on making big money or worship at the bank? Did I boast about my wealth, show off because I was well off? Was I ever so awed by the sun's brilliance and moved by the moon's beauty that I let myself become seduced by them and worship them on the sly. If so, I would deserve the worst of punishments, for I would be betraying God himself. And maybe a lot of you already know this. Yes, God is my greatest treasure, and I know that he has given me everything and that everything belongs to him. And if that is the case, then I would just ask you, what impact is that making in your life? If you know that everything is his in the first place, then how are you using what you've been given to show that he has the greatest value in your life? How can you be rich toward God in every aspect of your dealings and your relationships and your connections. And so when I was thinking about how I can make this truth real and impact everything that I say and everything that I do, my mind was drawn to communion. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. First importance, the highest value, the greatest treasure, the fact that God gave his only son and that through communion, we are called to remember this most precious gift. Rachel Held Evans has a book called Searching for Sunday, and in it, there's a beautiful section where she writes all about communion. And she says that one of the first things that the world knew about Christians was that they ate together. Isn't that neat that at the beginning of the week, the early church would gather together, whether they were rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. They would gather together and they would celebrate the day that everything changed. She writes, remember how God became one of us. Remember how God ate with us and drank with us, laughed with us and cried with us. Remember how God suffered for us and died for us and gave his life for the life of the world. Remember, Jesus longs to be the greatest treasure. He longs for your relationship with him to just impact everything that you say and do. Because real life is not found in what you own, but true life is found in him alone. The rich fool in the parable, he wanted to be remembered for what he believed that he had earned and deserved and that he worked really hard. Jesus gave us a meal that all we can do is simply receive it, that we have nothing to offer except thanks. To remember that on the night when Jesus was going to be betrayed, that he took some bread He gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And we have the honor and the privilege of gathering today in homes to remember. And so I, after I close in prayer, what I would invite you to do is to join with each other in a time of communion. We have the honor and the privilege to be gathered in homes today to gather together and to remember this gift. And so after I close in prayer, what I want to invite you to do is to take some time together and enjoy communion. Whether you have bread and wine, whether you have crackers and juice, or maybe you have coffee and donuts, I would invite you take a moment and be in communion together that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and that you would be able to share in communion and to talk about how Jesus Christ is your greatest treasure. Please pray with me. God, we just thank you so much for our time together today. 
We just ask that you would open our eyes so that we can see the truth of who you are, that you provide all of our needs, and that when we seek you first, God, that we would gain the right perspective. Teach us to number our days, to help us know that every day we have is a gift from you, and that while we are here on this earth, God, that we would seek life in you alone so that we can use anything that we've been given to help others do the same. God, thank you for being our greatest treasure. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.